All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells. We have another great episode coming your way, starting with our reactions to NFL Week 12. And that includes a game that hasn't even been played yet at the time of recording. The Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens have had their Thanksgiving Day game post three times already. And by the time you start listening to this, it's possible it still hasn't even been played. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the NFL's decision to continue to postpone it. We'll also talk about some of the other games that were played, like the Denver Broncos having to play without a quarterback and Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs knocking off Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll also get into some NBA offseason free agency talk as at this point in time, most of the biggest free agent names have signed and we're starting to get a clearer picture of what rosters will look like heading into the 2020-21 season that is set to start later this month. We'll talk about uh, some of the the more notable moves and uh, give you our biggest winners and losers of the offseason to this point. Finally, we'll wrap things up with our five questions segment. So with that, let's get started. just the two of us once again and uh, let's get into it with NFL week 12 and uh, to this point in recording 15 of the 16 games have taken place and the one game that hasn't taken place is the Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens that was supposed to kick off on Thanksgiving night but the Ravens had a few players test positive early in the week and more and more players kept testing positive. The NFL decided to postpone it to Sunday afternoon. And then after more players kept testing positive to Tuesday and then ultimately pushing it out to Wednesday. So the Ravens uh, have already announced they punished their strength and conditioning coach. Um, I think it's Sean Saunders is his name. Uh, regardless, he's, I, I don't know what the punishment is, but he seems to be uh, part of the blame at, to this point that the organization had uh, some issues adhering to the protocol. He was wearing a mask in I don't know, the, the gym or wherever area, a kind of guy who would be around a lot of players on the team. And uh, to the point now where the, the Ravens have uh, you know, caused this game to be pushed back six days beyond the initial start time. So I guess what is your thought in terms of how the NFL has handled the decision to postpone the game just in general, uh, you know, from Friday to Sunday and then keep going from there based on what has happened in Baltimore? Well, it's certainly stupidity on part of the Baltimore coach that did not take the virus seriously and was against masks and caused an outbreak for Baltimore. And, I think the NFL is definitely 
helping Baltimore in this case in terms of making it a closer game. Uh, but in terms of how they've handled it, I, I mean, at least they're being consistent in terms of they want to finish these games through 17 weeks and not have a week 18 and and they just want to plow through. So um, I'm fine with that. Uh, so they're, yeah, doing whatever it takes to finish by week 17. Now, in terms of how the Steelers players handled it, uh, after the NFL decided to move from Thursday to Sunday uh, and when guys like Claypool and Juju uh, and many others, many other Steelers players were were complaining about it, I kind of... I kind of have no sympathy for them just because they're 10 and 0 and I feel like they should be able to, no matter what the situation, they should be able to handle uh, the the Ravens given how they've played lately and given how the Steelers have played. And uh, I, I know I come off as a Steelers hater, but I feel like I, I feel the same way towards how the Patriots handled their outbreak when Belichick uh, complained about the lack of practice time that they were getting from the week they played Denver and they lost, but after that, they a week later they get blown out by San Francisco by four touchdowns. So I don't think the practice really helped them in that case that much. But in terms of the NFL, how they handled it, I I honestly am fine with them plowing through. I know that sounds I'm, it's probably not a popular opinion, but uh, I, I want them to have these games happen, even if it's not as good of a product. Okay, so I think we have some agreements and some disagreements. So I guess, first of all, in terms of postponing, like I get the NFL moving it from Thursday to Sunday because of the outbreak. In Baltimore's case, they had more and more guys testing positive. And I get that some of these games where you have players test positive, you're able to kind of control like, okay, this guy's positive. These few players are high-risk contacts. So... We're going to keep them out for five days, and if they continue to test negative, they can play. And, you know, ultimately the the idea is to figure out, okay, who's positive, get them out of here, who might be positive, yeah. hold them off, and then who's yeah. good to go, they can play. And I remember week four, I think it was, when the Patriots played the Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, Cam Newton was the first guy to test positive, and him and Gilmore were, it was rumored that they went out to dinner Thursday night that week or or whatever, and Cam Newton tested positive and didn't play, but Gilmore did play. And then Tuesday, Wednesday that week after the Chiefs game, he then eventually tested positive. So it it wasn't smart that he played. So for the NFL to move it from Thursday to Sunday made sense because if if there were players on the Ravens that were negative at that day but were eventually going to be positive – that could have caused even more chaos for not just them, but also the Steelers. So I think it was smart on their part to at least move it from Thursday to Sunday. Yeah, and that turned out to be the case. You had more guys like Lamar Jackson tested positive on Thursday, and the Ravens had a few other guys test positive in the days after that. So those are guys that would have played on Thursday with the virus and could have potentially spread it to others, whether on their team, on the Steelers, even though there hasn't really been any evidence of the virus transmitting during games. Uh, A lot of these cases where teams have had guys test positive, the other team will shut down the facilities and stuff, and then nothing happens out of it. Nobody tests positive because of that. That being said, you know, it, it makes sense. Move the game to Sunday. I get it. But the Ravens broke protocol. They had a coach who they allowed into their facilities not wear a mask, and he came in contact with clearly a ton of players on the team. And 
the NFL, after the whole Titans outbreak, which screwed over the Steelers, so the Steelers already lost their bye. Now they lose their mini bye that they would have had from Thursday to Sunday before the next game, which that was why the players were pissed off. Not necessarily because they were giving the Ravens you know, like chance to get players back. Yeah, it was just I, that the Steelers I, were frustrated. Like they, they had an opportunity to get some rest that they hadn't it's, had. It, yeah, I'll, I'll admit it, that they've been semi-screwed a little bit, not just this past week, but week four as well with the Tennessee thing. And uh, I'm not going to deny that like it's it's been a little bit tough for them, but I still... I just don't love the complaining. That's just that's just my thing. No, I I get it. I get it. There's a pandemic. You know, this these kind of things happen. But when you're a team that's following protocols and the team's not following protocols, and they're rewarding the team that's not following the protocols but following you, that's where the players' anger so comes do, from, and that's so, where the fans' anger comes from. So, so do so, you think they should have been forced to forfeit that ga- the game? The, the Ravens, I, I mean. I do. I do. Okay. And it's not even... It's like one of those things where, like, I'm glad that they're finding a way for the game to be played because as a Steelers fan, like, you don't necessarily feel good about just being given a forfeit win over your rival like that when you have the opportunity to play them and beat them and do serious damage to Baltimore's playoff hopes. But it, it, it's not necessarily about rewarding the Steelers in that case as much as it is about punishing the Ravens and giving them a loss because the the NFL has in their their updated protocols from October 5th after the whole Titans outbreak is that if a team has a outbreak caused by breaking protocols that results in the schedule being totally drastically changed thrown off that a forfeit and other punishment is a possibility now, the Baltimore Ravens for sure are going to lose draft picks, for sure are going to get fines. That's fine. I'm okay with that being the only thing if they were able to go ahead and play this game on Tuesday at the very least. But then to push them back to Wednesday because the players are like, we don't get any practice time? Like, why does the NFL keep bending over backwards to this team when they I, I would have been, been fine with Tuesday. But, yeah, uh, like, yeah. but a, that, a Wednesday game is... It's kind. Of, it, it gets kind of to the point where it's a little too ridiculous, and I, I maybe they should have just moved on to the next week, and maybe should have forced the forfeit. But yeah, and like I, I will fully admit that they are definitely helping Baltimore in this case. Definitely, but they're not going to be with. They're going to be without Lamar Jackson. Still. They are. And, they're and still several missing other players. most of their star players. I think they had four guys come off the COVID list today, but two of them are on IR anyway. Another defensive tackle, Brandon Williams, who's hurt, probably not. And then play. Mark Mark Andrews, who has diabetes, and he, even he tested positive. Now, how do you feel on Sunday? I think it was Saturday actually when. It was reported that the Steelers had test positive tests on their end, and there's yeah, so karma hits. But then, but then few. you find out who it was, and it was James Conner, the one guy that you that you don't want it to happen to, given his past with with cancer. And uh, it, it's not it's not yeah, a time. No, to, it, I yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's it's tough seeing James Conner test positive just because you know what he's gone through and you know what he he put at risk to play this season. Uh, you know, that being said, the Steelers had four guys that tested positive. One of them was already cleared. And then outside of that, no one else has continued to test positive. If the Steelers had an outbreak of their own, then they would have looked like idiots and they would have absolutely deserved the same kind of punishment. They would not have, you know, like they would totally change the way that you would have to think about this. But the fact is the Steelers, whatever protocols were put in place, they worked because most of the team is 
clear to go. They had a few guys test positive. You hope that they are able to recover well and no serious setbacks out of this and get ready to play later on in the season. But that's what it's something like with so many of these teams around the league. A couple guys test positive and nobody else on the team does. A few guys get identified as high risk, close contacts, and you know they have to sit out a few days, but then they're good to go. Uh, and that didn't happen in Baltimore because they didn't follow the protocol. So it just it doesn't make sense to me how the NFL is doing that. And then for the NFL to give the Ravens an extra day on top of all this, but then say the Broncos, you have to play without a quarterback. We're not going to give you an extra day. And I get that Denver doesn't have the same kind of playoff implications as Baltimore and Pittsburgh do, but it's, it's just it's an inconsistent message that the NFL is giving that they're bending over backwards for some teams and screwing over others. And I. I just wish there was more consistency to it and that there just hasn't been a precedent to this point. And I, I like that the NFL is trying to push through the games. Like you said, that they're not trying to move games week 18 and open up the possibility of adding new teams into the postseason, at least yet, you know, we'll see what continues to happen here. But I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really do think it's frustrating the way that uh, the NFL has handled this Baltimore situation and it's a lose-lose for Pittsburgh because the Steelers if they win even if they win by like 30 or 40 it's like oh yeah well the Baltimore couldn't practice half their team is on COVID list like no Lamar Jackson doesn't count obviously if the Steelers lose or it's a close game and that that's just another reason for people to, to so question it's a lose-lose no matter it's a lose-lose no matter what for them because if they blow them out people are going to say well it's because the Ravens were not prepared uh, properly, but if they if it was a close mm-hmm. game, then that oh maybe the Steelers are not as good as people think they are. I don't know. exactly, yeah. And beyond that, the Steelers now play Washington on Monday the following week, and they're going to play on four days rest. While the Washington football team, who played on Thanksgiving as planned, has like a twelve day rest or something like that between games. So from there, the Steelers like their next matchup is already kind of at a competitive disadvantage in terms of practice time and. Uh, you know, this is a way that the schedule has totally been thrown off. It, it it feels like this is something that could continue to have long-term effects on this team moving forward. So, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, game's tomorrow, 3.40 on a Wednesday. How do you feel about that? <laughs> um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to miss it, or, or at least the first half of it. Yeah, it's just like a, uh, like a, the Pirates and the Orioles playing on getaway day, right? Like right. the same kind of concept. I don't know. I'm I'm working from home tomorrow, so I you know I'm probably not going to be working starting around three thirty when the game gets underway. But uh, you know if I have to be around, I can. It does kind of stink for people who aren't going to have that access. Uh, I do really enjoy though. Um, so Adam, the reason why this isn't happening is because of the uh, <laughs> the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting is already scheduled to be. Uh, you know, live on NBC on Wednesday night. So they have to get the game in before that. And, uh, you know, it, it makes sense. Like it, they're already pushing back this game, the NBC, like, you know, channel, they're going to want to keep the game and they're not going to. There's been, there's been stuff that. like that in the past where I remember eight years ago, the, so you know how whoever wins the Super Bowl they get the opening day. Yeah, yeah, the Cowboys so, Giants. Yeah, okay, so you knew exactly where I was going with that. Yeah, eight years ago the Cowboys and Giants they played on Wednesday night because Thursday night I think it was Obama, the Democratic the National Democratic, Convention. Yeah, Obama yeah, was na- giving a speech. Right. Yeah, yeah, this is only the the second Wednesday night NFL game since 1949. Is this uh, the first it, year we're? Is this the first year we're gonna have? A football game on all seven days of the week. I think so. I did see I think, that. Because I think, uh, I think 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Christmas is is on a Friday. Friday with yep. the Vikings and Saints. Yep. So, and then we have and Saturday I'm sure there'll be games. Saturday games. Yeah, yeah. week fifteen so, and week sixteen. All, um, all seven days of the week. <laughs> yeah, was, uh, one of, one of my uh, one thing I do love though. I don't know if uh, I just find this funny for no reason, but so Adam Schefter tweeted out, you know, another ultimate 2020 note. The Ravens Steelers game is kicking off Wednesday at 3:40 p.m. because NBC wanted and was committed to broadcasting the 88th Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting ceremony on Wednesday night. Per sources, tree lighting trumped football. So he tweeted that, you know, basically after it happened, just kind of explaining this is why it's going on in the middle of the day. And then two hours later, just kind of unprompted is the way I look at it. Or I don't know if people were complaining or like wondering this, but he says the 88th Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting ceremony on Wednesday night will feature performances from Dolly Parton, Megan Trainer, Kelly Clarkson, Brett Eldridge, Tori Kelly, and the Goo Goo Dolls. And that's it. Just, just randomly plugging it out there like, hey, you know, stick around, you know, after the football game, you might want to watch us out. Dolly Parton's going to be there. Ooh, the Goo Goo Dolls. Like. I, I don't know. I, I just find that kind of hilarious. Like if, if uh, you know, just, hey, this is why it's not happening today. Like the NFL is king, but Dolly Parton is queen and we're going to bow down to her and she's going to get to sing in front of that Christmas tree. So anyway, I'm I'm uh, I'm just hoping that the game happens. Well, uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, hopefully this is a nice little preview for that one. And uh, the Steelers roll over Robert Griffin, the third and whatever backups and practice squad guys baltimore throws on the field so that being said let's kind of roll into this we kind of talked about it earlier the denver broncos were forced to play without a quarterback because their backup quarterback brett rippon tested positive for covid19 on thursday or or friday and uh no i think it was i think it was Saturday, it was on or, Friday. Oh, it was he on was Friday, but they announced that the, on Saturday they announced, they announced the that Bortles and uh, Lock and play. Yeah, on Blake Saturday. Bortles, okay. Drew Lock, and Jeff Driscoll were all identified as high risk, close contacts. So none of the Denver quarterbacks were eligible to play on Sunday, and the NFL made them go forward with it. The Broncos apparently tried to get one of their assistant coaches to play. Uh, I think. Uh, Rob Calabrese, who was like a quarterback for James Madison ten years ago, I don't, or something. I don't. I don't remember. I didn't remember the name, but I'm all. I would have been all for that. I mean, the NHL they let Zamboni drivers go in and play yeah, goalies. I mean, why, why not put why not put in that guy and play to play quarterbacks? I w- I would have been fine with it. So instead, the uh, the Broncos had to play a practice squad wide receiver who was a backup quarterback in college, and Kendall Hinton. Uh, but I guess you know just before we kind of talk about the game itself, so we talked about the Ravens, how they were rewarded. How do you feel about the Broncos? Uh, you know, just being forced to play like this. Um, yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you that it's it's a little inconsistent, and maybe they should have moved it to Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. But I'm I'm still glad they played the game uh this week but yeah maybe they should have pushed it out a couple more days and have those guys come back uh whether whether it's Bortles Driscoll or Locke or or all of them uh but at the same time I still have that same opinion that just plow through just let no matter the situation just play the game um I don't know if you heard but did you hear Vic Vangio's comments after the game after the yeah oh he called out his quarterback he called out he called out all all the quarterbacks and that they should have been smarter about it. And it sounded harsh, but at the same time, it is November. It's not like it's week one. It's week 12 now, and I feel like at this point you should know all the protocols and know when you should have your mask on and uh, what, no matter what part of the building it is or uh, 
or whatever practice it is, you should be able to follow pro- protocols at this point. So it sounded harsh, but at the same time, it I kind of I kind of don't blame him either. I think another thing to mention is uh, I, don't, I don't know if you remember, but the Eagles they signed uh, or not signed, but they had they had Josh McCown as an emergency practice squad QB or he got I think 12 grand a week or whatever just to just to be at home but to have an emergency quarterback away from everybody that way if if a situation like this were to ever happen they got a quarterback that they can just throw in and I think that's smart on a team like that's part to have to do that because you don't have to end up playing running backs as your or wide receivers as your quarterback for the day and put him put them in a big hole. I know the uh, the Buffalo Bills have been doing that with Jake Fromm. Uh, they've been mm. kind of having him in a bubble on his own. Right, right. Jake from State Farm. Right. Yeah, yeah. There have been other <laughs> uh, other teams that I think have done that in the past, but I thought I read that the Bills are the only ones still doing that. I got to imagine seeing what happened in Denver, other teams are going to do that now. And really, there's no excuse for this to happen. Like you said, like if you're following the protocols, then you wouldn't have to be... Uh, identified as high-risk close contacts who were ineligible to play, and they weren't wearing masks around each other. So I I am okay with the way that the NFL handled the Broncos situation, given what they did with the Ravens. And it's like, all right, you know, you couldn't have just given them an extra day to practice. You give this, uh, you know, practice squad wide receiver a chance to maybe learn the guy's names. Nobody even yeah, knew the guy who didn't he was. Even have twenty four hours to to learn the place that he had to go through in that game. Yeah. And it, like they, they set them up for failure. And I, I agree, you know, if you can't let this game be like a week 18 game or they, they had no time to push it back to be able to get one of these guys cleared based on the five day protocol. So the way they did it at the time was like, great. Yeah. Denver, you didn't break protocols. That's how this should be handled. And they identified close, contacts like it was just these guys you know everyone else is going to be okay to move forward with this game you just you just wish that both the baltimore and denver situations were handled the same way but one team just got got screwed and say hey no you got to play tomorrow like too bad but the other team they get to go from thursday to the next to next week in the wednesday yes yeah i i i I can see the why and I, I get that the outbreaks are different but even then it's like based on that logic and the nfl should have made baltimore play on tuesday say hey you guys like i don't care that you can't practice and I, i'm sure that john elway's pissed by the way that uh baltimore's situation was handled versus how his was regardless the game was played kendall hinton one for nine 13 passing yards two interceptions and uh, on the other side of the ball, Taysom Hill didn't do all that much better passing. Nine for 16, 78 yards, one interception. There were 75 total passing yards in this game when you account for sacks. And uh, it was basically a preview of Army-Navy, except none of the spectacle and pageantry and just all around really sad that nobody enjoyed watching. Like, the Saints fans even like watching Taysom Hill play quarterback. Uh, I mean, if you can improve as a passer, maybe they will. But for right now, he's certainly a good runner with the ball. He has he has four rushing touchdowns, but he doesn't have a, he still doesn't have a single career passing touchdown. No, like there is. I saw a stat where Kendall yep. is it Kendall Hinton? Kendall Hinton. He, yeah. He's thrown a, a touchdown pass more recently than Taysom. Yeah, Hill he threw a touchdown pass October seventh, twenty seventeen at Wake Forest. Taysom Hill's last touchdown pass November twenty sixth, twenty sixteen at BYU. It is uh, that is like an incredible stat to see. 
This is a game where, like, you knew that the Saints were going to win in a blowout. Like, at least New Orleans knows what they have with Taysom Hill. They know there, how to win with him. There but, was a part of me that was uh, kind of, even though we we all knew what was going to happen in the result and result, there was a part of me that was just rooting for Denver just a little bit, just to have some success with what they were given. Yeah, and I like that uh, they they scored three points because Taysom Hill threw an interception that set them up in field goal range. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, yeah, uh, but it, uh, but yeah, it's a it's a credit to the uh, I I mean it, credit to the Broncos for handling the adversity that they had to go through, and I I actually also give credit to the Bears because they they were the they, they became the second team to not have a quarterback as well in in their game. <laughs> yeah, you know I I would say that uh, Mitchell Trubisky is more of a quarterback than Taysom Hill, but that's uh. Oh, that's, that's true. So there might there might have been three there might have been three quarterbacks then. That, yeah, that it's just it, it's just ridiculous looking at these stats. Seventy seven total carries in this game. Like this is it was literally <laughs> Army Navy. If the except the quarterbacks had to throw a, a few more times, like the 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 Broncos. You can say like Kendall Hinton was their starting quarterback. They came out in the Wildcat right away, and they they were doing that with Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman only until they had to actually pass the ball. And even then, their pass plays didn't have a chance. It was just Hinnon just scrambling out of the pocket and just throwing it out of bounds because nobody was wide open. It, it just didn't make any sense for Denver. New Orleans did what they needed to to, to take advantage of this win. Uh, I would like to see Jameis Winston play quarterback. Like I, I think that Jameis Winston provides more entertainment because he's going to pass the ball you don't necessarily know where it's going to go it could be an 80 yard touchdown it could be a 30 yard pick six i mean Taysom at least i know not in this game but in the atlanta game and i know it's atlanta but he did throw the ball a decent amount he did did, pretty well in that game and so going even though denver's not very good going on the road versus denver who is yeah not very good but they have a pretty decent defense and in the cold uh mile high it's that's it's kind of a tough spot, not not totally hard, but it's still it's a it's a much harder spot than at Atlanta in a dome. Yeah, which is where they're well, they're, they played last game was in New Orleans. They actually play next week. In well, Atlanta that's what I meant. Game. Like they play versus Atlanta at New Orleans week yeah. eleven, but now they play at at Atlanta week thirteen again in a dome. Yeah, I I hope that Drew Brees can come back. Um, I I so I know a couple weeks ago we were kind of talking about who the best team in the NFC is, like. I'm back on the Saints. I was kind yeah, of I, off because I wasn't sure what would happen with Taysom Hill. You know, obviously the matchups are in their favor that it's like, why not throw him out there? They found a way to win. Uh, but to me, the Saints are the best team in the NFC. And, yeah, and uh, I, 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 don't, I agree with that still. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, moving forward, I, I think it'll be interesting to see um, who ends up playing quarterback when Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs come to town. But they uh, they definitely have a favorable schedule the rest of the way that I think they can survive if, if Taysom Hill continues to play like he does, um, even though it's maybe not all that fun to watch as a neutral fan. All right. Now, uh, speaking of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they, uh, they're pretty good, huh? That uh, that offense was humming early with him and Tyree Kill. And uh, as a, a uh, fantasy opponent of yours i was on the uh the very wrong end of a a blowout loss because of tyree kill's huge game regardless it was uh 200 something receiving yards in just the first yeah. quarter alone yeah two 200 plus receiving yards and two touchdowns in just the first quarter that's that's absurd numbers for 
I mean, not just even a game, but just one quarter. That, that's mm-hmm. that's unbelievable. And, and yeah, it was definitely good to have him on my on my squad. Yeah, Tony Romo was joking around that he was on pace for a thousand receiving yards in that one, and uh, you know that Patrick Mahomes would have been on pace for a thousand passing yards, and it's kind of incredible because he ended up throwing for four hundred sixty-two yards in this game. Early in the third quarter, the Chiefs were up 27 to 10. They had a first and 10 on the 11-yard line. And Mahomes had Miko Hardman wide open. If he throws a good pass and Hardman catches it, it's an 89-yard touchdown. And Mahomes, he was able to kind of hit him in the hands, but like it, it was not a good pass. And it's incredible because he would have finished, assuming that the game flow, everything played out the same way with 551 could, passing yeah, yards. Yeah, you could have had 500 and maybe even 600 passing passing yards. So the NFL record is 554, which is it's incredible. It was Norm Van Brocklin way back in 1951 against the New York football giants. And I, I say that because that. back then, yeah, well, back then there, there were actually two New York giants. The baseball giants were still playing in New York. They didn't move to San Francisco for another six years. That's how long ago it was. And it's incredible to me that no NFL quarterback has been able to touch that record. I think second 527 by, uh, a couple of Houston legends and Warren Moon and Matt Schaub. But, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it, it It almost feels like it's only a matter of time before Mahomes can do that because the, the Chiefs offense, they cooled off in the second half. They really didn't do a whole lot after scoring. It was 20-7 to seven at halftime. I know they scored early in the third quarter, but then they didn't do anything. And this is a game where it looked like they were just totally going to blow out the Bucks, and they let Tampa come all the way back to the point where Kansas City had to actually – kill the clock on the final drive to pull out the win uh so it the way i've looked at this chief's offense all season long is it's kind of like they haven't even reached their ceiling and i wonder have they actually reached their ceiling because it feels like this is a team that could go out and score 50 points at any time and that they can have Patrick Mahomes throw close to 600 passing yards in a game. That they can have Clyde Edwards-Elair and Le'Veon Bell run for 150 200 yards at any time and they just that just hasn't happened is I think that it crazy? Depend, I, I think I think it depends on the matchups. So in in this game, they're facing Tampa, who yes, they have plenty of talent, but they're not they're honestly not a, a very disciplined team or a well coached team. I mean, when you see Carlton no, Davis, when you see Carlton Davis just being man to man coverage with Tyreek Hill uh, on so many occasions, and uh, and no safety. Well, not there was safety help, but not great safety help over the top. And so, so to force Carlton Davis in that situation is, I think that's that's more on the coaching rather than him. I kind of felt bad for that guy, uh, given it was a total mismatch. And um, I know, I know when when Mahomes and the Chiefs, whenever they've played the Patriots, uh, there. I mean, Mahomes has had six, some success. He he has a couple wins against them, uh, but there have been times when Belichick and the def- their defense have been able to limit Mahomes and. Their offense, and that's what they do is they make sure that Tyreek is covered very well. They they make sure to limit their their best offensive weapon, and then on third downs they try to double cover Kelsey, and they they have some sort of formula to limit the Chiefs. And so I think I think depending on the matchups, it it, it that comes down to whether the Chiefs have or have not reached their ceiling yet. 
So in this game, they they did in the first quarter, but then Tampa said, "Hey, maybe we should maybe we should double cover that guy. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I we mean, should pay they, a little bit more attention to him, somehow. and then and then we won't have all these troubles." So the the Kansas City Chiefs team has only scored forty points in a game once this season. They scored forty three against the Denver Broncos, and in that game, they had a pick six and a kick return touchdown. So they only scored what. 29 offensive points i don't know how the extra points would have worked out in that one but they they haven't gotten to the point where they're just totally unstoppable like they've had moments where they look amazing and then they start to fall they haven't gone from start to finish is what you're saying yeah and like now that being said look i'm not gonna sit here and say that the chiefs aren't this great team i still think that Overall, they're probably a little better than Pittsburgh because Patrick Mahomes is playing at an MVP level, even though he's not playing at maybe like this otherworldly level like we you know, have grown accustomed to at times. He uh, He's done everything that he needs to do to get this team to a 10-1 record. And one of his worst games was against the Las Vegas Raiders when they lost. And that was a game where the offense still scored 32 points. So, a, lot of that, a lot of that was garbage time but or comeback mode, but it's... Still, still pretty good numbers. Yeah, and it, I don't know. Just looking at this Chiefs team, it like it feels like they are vulnerable. That a really good defense could come in and slow them down. We saw against the Bills and the Patriots earlier this season that they were able to win because of the running game and the defense. But Patrick Mahomes didn't have the greatest game. That was a tough stretch for him. He's kind of figured it out lately. But I don't know. When I look at this Kansas City Chiefs team, it it feels like they should be better than they are like they're scarier on paper than they actually are on the field and they come out and play great in the first quarter and then for three quarters it's just not the same so I I don't know I uh you know maybe that's just me trying to convince myself that the the Steelers can beat the Chiefs in the AFC championship game but uh I'm not I'm not looking at this Chiefs team as a team that's like 2007 Patriots or 2013 Broncos type offense at this point even though I think they're fully capable of doing that they just haven't put it all together on the flip side Tampa Bay Buccaneers are now seven and five they have their bye week which feels like it's coming at a good time they've lost three of their last four games and they're three big games that they lost they lost to the Saints got destroyed by them on Sunday night football they lost to the the uh, Rams on Monday night football last week and then they lose to the Chiefs in a nationally broadcast 425 CBS game all three of them at home so when you look at uh, you know what you saw from the Bucks today and really the past few weeks, wh- what's going wrong? Like, how much of this is just like Brady and Arians having these issues that are starting to bubble out versus this team just not as great as we we think they should be? Uh, well, the the first thing is yeah, I I think a lot of people uh, were hyping the Bucks a lot and for good reason with Brady being there and. And Bruce Arians even talked about how, hey, the people wanted to give us the Super Bowl trophy in, back in August. And so so there are certainly people, uh, for good reason, were hyping the team up a little bit too much. But I think, uh, I'm I kind, of, kind of repeating myself, but it, they're not a well-coached, well-disciplined team. There have been times when uh, they've committed a lot of penalties. And we just saw this past Sunday that they didn't handle things uh quite well in that first quarter defensively uh offensively they did come back in that game so they're they they've had sparks on offense but it's they, they've clicked at times but they're definitely not click on all cylinders and uh i i, I think and, and i know it sounds crazy because antonio brown's great but 
yes, ever since they've signed him, they've they've been one and three. And uh, I I feel like Brady's been maybe uh, paying ten, paying a little bit too much attention to uh, force feeding Brown. And uh, I definitely don't think they've gone to Godwin enough. I I know this kind of sounds crazy because he's probably the third best receiver, but he's my favorite of the three just because of. Uh, what the kind of person he is uh, compared to AB, but then also uh, the kind of receiver he is on the field, uh, not just going deep, but also uh, catching uh, tough tough passes up the middle as well. And Evans, I just don't think Mike Evans, I know he's big and strong, but I don't think he's a great fit for Brady. I think he's a better fit for Winston. And there was yep. a play in that game where uh, Brady threw an interception, and, and I don't think it was on Brady. I think it was more on Evans in the miscommunication uh, that they had together. And uh, I think... I I feel like their offense isn't suiting Brady's skill set because he's not a great deep deep ball thrower in this at this point in his career. Well, he's never been one outside of the years of Randy Moss, but uh, at, obviously at forty three, he's not a great deep ball thrower. Uh, and I I feel like Arians is that guy who wants to risk it uh, risk it all and go deep uh, with the with the deep ball. And I think they need to play to more more to Brady's skill set, but Brady did pick the Bucks, So I don't know how much blame I should put on Arians and, or how much I should put on Brady. And now because I'm a Brady Homer, I, I would, I want to blame more on Arians, but there have been times when Arians has come out in press conferences and said like, Hey, no, Brady's the guy who's calling, the, calling these plays. Uh, don't look at me. Now that might be a little bit of a lack of accountability, but maybe he's telling the truth. I don't know. Yeah, you did have a lot to say there. So let me try to kind of break I'm this sorry, down. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I, I get it. It's it's Tom Brady. Yeah, um, yeah no, the, the Brady Arians thing, like that, there's a lot of question marks. Like throughout the season, whenever Brady hasn't played well, Arians has not been afraid to call him out on that. And that's not something that Brady was used to in his time in New England. You can kind of see the friction there. And that's something that like I saw coming the whole way is that, yeah, oh, Brady has all these big receivers, Mike Evans and uh, – um, Chris Godwin, like you mentioned, Robert Gronkowski comes in. They already had Cameron Braid, O.J. Howard's on IR, but he was another guy. They add Antonio Brown. They got all these guys, and Brady isn't necessarily at the point of his career where he's going to take advantage of them like a guy like Jameis Winston. And, yeah, Winston threw 30 picks last year, but he threw 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns with these weapons. He used them to the best of their abilities. And Mike Evans has had games where he goes totally quiet, and he get like – Two catches for two yards, and he'll uh, whenever they play, score whenever they touchdown, but whenever they play the Saints, he's invisible. He had, Marshawn Lattimore just shuts him out. He had two touchdown catches this week, but he only had one other catch the rest of the way. And you know, Brady had this streak where he had twenty straight incompletions on passes twenty plus yards. That that ended this week. He did have a couple big passes. He had one play to Gronk who actually had a huge game with six catches for 106 yards. Um, and then another, I think, to Godwin. But he, uh, he he's proven that he can't throw the ball deep downfield to this point. And the Bucks, like, it's almost like they have too many weapons. And that this it's just not the way that they're going to win this game. They need so much more to their running game. Because Ronald Jones has played really well for the most part. This game, he only had nine carries. But he had 66 yards. Like He's been... He's been good at times, but he's been really inconsistent because in that Panthers game, now a lot of it was because of that one run, but yeah, nine he was, he was good run, in that so. game, but there, there have been times where, yeah, he, he they abandoned the running game and he doesn't do anything. I think it, uh, verse, I think it was the versus the Saints. They ran the ball, I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think, I think they ran times, it five right? times. Five times, yeah. yeah. It was, it was, well, one like of them was did. a kneel, 
kneel down, I think. I don't <laughs> yeah, even know. Yeah, probably. They, yeah. I mean, they also were losing the entire way. They didn't really have an option. Like, you can kind of say the same thing in this one, that they were down and they had to throw the ball. Leonard Fournette has been a train wreck, though. Like, oh my, he he can't he can't catch whatsoever. He had three drops. I'm pretty sure in the the Rams game was it the Rams game or was it this past game? I'm pretty sure it was the Rams game. I where think he had yeah, I think three the drops. Rams game. He, he he can't he can't catch the ball at all. He had like that huge game week two against the Panthers where he had 103 yards. He had a long 46 yard touchdown run. He also had a 24 yard run against. Um, who was it? The Las Vegas Raiders. If you take away those two runs, his yards per carry drop off from 3.9 to 3. And he had That's this bad. <laughs> Yeah, like he had this one play against uh the Rams last week where he had this hole and he just runs to the opposite side and got Trent Richardson trending on Twitter. Like I I felt so much like not just joy but like vindication because I said before last season, before 2019, that Leonard Fournette is just like a rich man's Trent Richardson. He's a little better. No, I, tri- I, like- I agree with that. I mean, I don't totally fault. the. T- now, I think it's kind of dumb to take running backs as early as some teams do, but I kind of don't blame, the, for example, the Giants for taking Saquon, given how athletic he is. But when you take when you take Leonard Fournette, when you take a guy like Leonard Fournette fourth overall, a guy who's not a good pass catcher, uh, that that's that's just not good drafting at all. No, and I get why Jacksonville wasn't able to acquire anything for him and just straight up release him. And yeah, I mean the Bucks, he's he's someone who's good enough that they're gonna continue to give him opportunities. But he uh, he has not been the big flashy signing that they were hoping for when they they were able to scoop him up right before the start of the season. So. Uh, you know, going forward, Tampa has a bye. Their final four games are relatively favorable. They play the Vikings. They have two games against the Falcons. They play the Lions. Four yeah. games that they very much should be able to win. There isn't but, a team that needed a bye more than Tampa. And I, I think with the bye and with the rest of their schedule, I there's no doubt in my mind that I think they can still make the playoffs. But it's really, I've said it plenty of times in the past, but I'll say it again. Like It's a it's a question of whether they can even advance in the playoffs or not, because they're cert- It's it's very likely that they're going to have a road game in their first playoff uh, matchup, since it's likely the Saints are going to win the division. Yeah, and on top of that, so this is a fun stat. Uh, so through their their twelve games they've played, in games that kick off at uh, before three o'clock local time, so one Eastern or you know four Pacific. They're five and zero. Oh. Games that kick off after three Eastern time, they're two and five. Yeah, and the, the playoffs is a good I, chance I, they'll be playing a late game. I, so. I think there could be. I think there's a reason for that though. Maybe I think it's because so Brady talked about how he goes to bed at eight thirty every night, and so if ever he's if they ever have a Monday night Sunday or Monday night game, he's already going to be tired by the by game time. And Way they actually past his bedtime. They actually uh, at one point Bruce Arians he. He had a practice. He ran a practice at night, <laughs> for, yeah, uh, just so the to get Bucks could be it. prepared for for a night game, which is, I it's it's kind of stupid, but at the same time, I, I mean, you know, I kind of blame him given how yeah. they played at night. Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> I I guess whatever you got to do, but I don't know if that's that's worked out for them given how they played their past two night games. So, yeah, like you said, perfect time for a buy for them. We'll see what what comes out in these last four. 
But with that, let's uh, let's talk about Brady's old team, the New England Patriots. And a couple weeks ago, uh, it looked like this team was kind of dead in the water. We were talking about whether they should have lost to the Jets on Monday Night Football. And since then, they beat the Ravens, lost to the Texans, and it's like, all right, yeah, that their uh, their chances of the playoffs are over. But now they come out and beat the Cardinals. <laughs> it's like, what what have these last few weeks done with your emotions? Like, how do you feel about this team? I mean, my emotions are definitely all over the place. Uh, but in terms of my belief in the Patriots, in terms of uh, getting a path to the playoffs, I'm still not a believer. Now I know they won this past Sunday versus the Cardinals. Uh, but the Cardinals are they might I think they're a little overrated, but I again I don't blame you or anyone else for for hyping them as a playoff team. I, they definitely can be with given how good Kyler Murray and Hopkins and others have been. But uh, but the Patriots, yeah, I even though they won, I don't think they were very impressive in that in that game. I think I think they were pretty lucky with the dropped touchdown pass from Christian Kirk and Kenyon Drake getting stuffed at the goal line before the half ended. And he, who knows, maybe he even crossed the line, but they couldn't tell, of course, on the replay, so they had to uh, let the play stand. And then Zane Gonzalez missed that field goal uh, to mm-hmm. give the Patriots the ball back at 17-all, and then they marched down the field and sc- scored the game. Helped winning. by Isaiah Simmons with a bonehead play yeah, I, on cam newton which is so, also a questionable one because he hit him when he was still in balance <laughs> yeah i i'm that penalty so there are two penalties in that game one against the patriots and one against the cardinals were that were definitely questionable one of them was the the penalty uh, the blocking penalty on the olszewski punt return touchdown yeah which was going to count but then anthony simmons um had that hit on uh whoever it was that was trying to make the tackle and and then yeah, the Isaiah Simmons hit. But I thought both of those were not they were not great calls, but at the same time, given the rules and given what the NFL is trying to do, limit those kind of hits, I guess it's a penalty, but I don't love that's a penalty at the same time, if that makes sense. So I mm-hmm. I didn't like either call. If it uh, I feel like I gotta be consistent with both of those if they're kind of similar um similar hits. Yeah, I mean, the Steelers had a, a similar penalty on a hit to Lamar Jackson where he was starting to go out of bounds. He was still in bounds, and they hit him like a running back, and they got a penalty. That's one of those things where, like, if that was uh, James White or Damian Harris, I don't know if they throw the flag on it because it's Cam Newton they did. But, yeah, regardless, you know, the, the Cardinals definitely did a lot to give the Patriots a chance to win. But now New England's 5-6. and six. They played two games against the L.A. teams, the Chargers and the Rams. Now, the Chargers have been competitive, but they haven't been winning games. The Rams have been a really good team, but that's They also had a bad a loss game. just this past Sunday versus... Yeah, and that, that's certainly a game that the uh, the Patriots can win. And then from there, you last three against the AFC East with uh, you know Buffalo being at home on Monday Night Football. So it seems like the Patriots' path is still there. It is still a long shot. They could finish 10-6 and six and still not even get in in the AFC just because of how many other good teams are. But it's just like... To this point, now that the uh, you know the number one pick or whatever is totally out of play, like I would think you just gotta keep hoping that New England can keep putting on these wins. Yeah, and, if, uh, if you know, make it interesting. Late, it's too late to tank now. There, there are too many bad teams, and they've won too many games to the point where no matter what, they're gonna have a middling mid, middling pick in the first round, uh, whether if they make the playoffs or not. And yeah, I'm I'm still not a believer in in the Patriots being a playoff team. And another another thing I didn't like about that the this past game was how bad Cam Newton was. Uh, he was, yeah. I I know I know he was good in versus Seattle and he, 
um, in, in other games, but he hasn't been trending in the right direction. He's he's gotten worse as the year has gone on. And no, when you have to immediately say, "I know he was good in week two, like that's definitely yeah, ten kind weeks of a ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah no, not so- not a great performance from Cam Newton. I mean, his his passing numbers look like Taysom Hill and uh, Kendall Hinton, nine for 18, 84 yards with two picks. A wild so, a, a wild stat. Uh, so. F- through the first 11 games uh, of the season in 2007 they had 39 touchdown passes in 2020 through 11 games with Cam Newton they've had 6 they've had 33 less touchdown passes through 11 games uh in two, in 2020 than they had in the their ridiculous year with Randy Moss in 2007 and of those 6 less. hasn't Newton only thrown like 3 of them with, yeah cuz uh, i'm our, i don't know i don't I know that's a good um, question. Yeah, because Jacoby, Jacoby Myers had one, one and I'm, I think Edelman threw one, right? Like uh, way back maybe. in the beginning of the season, and then uh, they had a they must have had one with either Hoyer or Stidham, right? Uh, def- oh yeah, Stidham. He came in in the Chiefs game and he threw a yeah, touchdown one pass of them probably threw a touchdown pass. Yeah, yeah so. Stidham. I don't think Hoyer. I'm pretty did. sure he got Cam to the red zone. A, he got to the red zone a bunch of times, but I don't. He didn't throw a touchdown yeah, pass. Yeah, I mean, Stidham I'll, I'll look right now. I can so tell St- you. So Cam Newton, I think, might have just four touchdown passes at most. <laughs> through, yeah, never mind. He's thrown four touchdown passes. So yeah, they've thrown two he others. Missed, he missed one game, so he has four touchdown passes through ten games. That's yeah, it's pretty bad. I, no, though, that's not. I know. Not even I know he's a runner, but it's still, it's still not good. And no, no, I mean the Patriots have found some ways to win, but like, would you want him back next season? No, of course not. I mean, I <laughs> I want him to stay the starter the rest of the season because I'm not. Uh-huh. I don't like Hoyer or Stidham, but I I, I don't want I don't want Cam Newton to be the starter beyond this year because he just he can't throw the ball accurately. Well, I mean, he even with the Carolina, he wasn't the most accurate passer, but now he's really not, and he can't diagnose a blitz, and he just—I don't want to blame too much on Cam Newton because Cam Newton was kind of just thrown into the fire back in uh, late June, early July, and uh, I think he's compared to Brady last season. I think Cam Newton's a much uh, better teammate than Brady was by the end mm-hmm. of his Patriots tenure, and I, I think, think the—I think—I think the Patriots locker room respects him and he, he does all the right things so uh so that part of uh, that part of cam newton i like I, I like a ton he's he's a very likable guy but but yeah in terms of quarterback play i don't want him beyond this season but i do want him to stay the starter even though he hasn't been great so on the flip side the cardinals are a hail mary away from having a four game losing streak and being under 500 they're they're just clinging on to that seven seed at six and five and if you look ahead you have minnesota chicago and Arizona, or san francisco now five and six just one game out so they're uh it looks like a couple weeks ago the playoffs were a sure thing for them coming off that win over buffalo but they're uh they're starting to be a lot more questions of what's going to happen in the nfc and uh, I think it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens, especially with the 49ers, because they, uh, you know, they pulled out a huge win over the Rams, like you said. I don't know who's going to be healthy for them, but they're a team that we didn't really talk about a whole lot in our last episode when we were talking about teams that could potentially be a threat in the NFC playoff picture. But they, uh, you know, they're going to play those two games in Arizona against Buffalo and Washington, and then they play the Cardinals in Arizona, which at this point is effectively a neutral site game in week 16 and a game that could be a huge one in deciding that final playoff spot in the NFC. So I love that. So it sucks that they have to go to Glendale for their home games, but I love that uh, after the Santa Clara thing is over, 
uh, in terms of the contact sports, one of their road games is uh, at Arizona in Glendale. Mm-hmm. They have to go back to Glendale <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with the rest of the NFC um, at this point, but it's definitely looking like there's a, a good chance that we could see maybe uh, a little more surprises in terms of who gets into the field at the last minute. And uh, yeah, speaking of surprise NFC playoff teams, well, look at the NFC East now. Who's atop of that division? The New York Giants and then the Washington football team, both at 4-7. and seven following wins this week with Washington beating Dallas to drop them to three and eight and the Eagles losing to Seattle to be three, seven and one. So with the giants and Washington at four and seven, what do you make of those two teams playoff chances? Uh, particularly with the Eagles uh, now no longer in first place in this division. Um, With the giants, I think they've been, even though they're a four and seven team, I think they've been playing a little bit better lately and, uh, I think defensively they've been pretty good. Now I know the last game they didn't they were playing a, a team without Joe Burrow, but they still look pretty good uh, defensively. And uh, Evan Ingram finally uh, was targeted a ton, and uh, they got some good receivers and Sterling Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. Now I guess the concern is if Daniel Jones how long he's going to be out. But I, and from what I've read, I he, I think he could be out for at least a week or so. But I, I maybe Colt McCoy can do okay in that their next game, but uh, I think I think the Giants have a shot given how they played lately. And then for the Washington uh, football so team, so I guess real quick, let's talk oh, about yeah, the yeah, Giants. Sorry, so sorry. yeah, they've won three in a row. I know you mentioned that with Daniel Jones being out. Um, so my immediate thought when I heard, oh, Daniel Jones can miss a couple weeks, is like, oh, that's a real killer to the Giants' playoff chances. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about it, is like. Is that really a real killer? Not having Daniel Jones, having to play Colt McCoy instead? Like, is that is that <laughs> that's a good thing point. that's going to do in the Giants season? It's a good point. Daniel Jones definitely does turn the ball over a lot. So yeah, maybe Colt it's McCoy not a, is not a really a... solid backup. He's someone yeah. who the Washington football team was able to rely on over the years. Uh, so I, I think that Colt McCoy, is, he doesn't necessarily give him that much worse of a chance than Daniel Jones does. That's a good point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, go on to Washington. Oh yeah, so and then for yeah for Washington, they look terrific versus. Now I know it's Dallas, and Dallas has been the most, arguably the most disappointing team this year. Um, but they have, I mean, Dak has been gone, of course, but they still mm-hmm. have sucked. But Washington, uh, they look terrific, especially Antonio Gibson. Uh, they, they look r- pretty great in that game, and or he looked good, good in that game. And then Alex Smith as well. I know he's not fantastic, but. I think his comeback is is awesome. I mean, I remember when he came back, we were talking about, and I, I know I said this, that after that one game where he came back in the rainy rainy weather versus the Rams, I remember like I remember thinking, no, 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 just just go now. You got you you, yeah. you proved that you came back from the 17 surgeries. Now you uh-huh. can go. But now now he now he's tied. He's on a team that's tied for first in the in the division, and I'm I'm rooting for I'm rooting for him big time. Uh, given everything he's gone through and uh i mean we're both football fans right so shouldn't we be rooting for a football team (laughs) yeah right uh yeah alex smith it's been remarkable i think a few weeks ago i thought it was like his comeback player of the year award like they were just going to give it to him just because of what he came back from not necessarily because of his play he's been playing really well like he has led that team they have looked fairly competent at least on the offensive side of the ball recently uh, they blew out Dallas, and that was the kind of game where the Cowboys were coming off a win over Minnesota. They're at home on Thanksgiving Day against a Washington team that 
really they're not all that great and uh Washington was able to blow them out and uh you know I know a lot of that was kind of what happened in the fourth quarter especially after that horrendous fake punt call by Mike McCarthy but oh that was yeah. terrible <laughs> yeah there, there, there was no creativity on that play and they were at their own what 30 yard line something Maybe like even that worse. I mean there, there was no chance of that being successful and from there Washington just broke it open so yeah that that uh was a, a pretty pretty disastrous loss for the Cowboys in terms of their playoff chances but all of a sudden I'm looking at the Washington football team and I really like their path moving forward because their uh their next two games they're both on the road but they're against Pittsburgh and San Francisco those are two games under normal circumstances I wouldn't like their chances at all but I already talked about this earlier. The Steelers, their schedule has been totally messed up with the practice, and uh, they're only going to have like four days uh, off before this uh, Washington game. So that's an opportunity that the football team could have. And then the 49ers, it's on the road, but it's being played in Arizona. Who knows how they're going to respond to having to play their games in a totally different state. Uh, So those are two possible wins you know maybe a chance to get one of them they play seattle week 15 it's at home seattle i know they're going west to east but they they haven't been uh burned by the 10 a.m body clock start time games under pete carroll as much as you would think they would be so probably got, not going to win that one but they got and then carolina the last two, who's yeah who's, carolina hasn't been very good lately and they even know a big lead versus minnesota and they're without yep. mccaffrey um, who i'm sure will probably be back yeah, by then but still i mean it's not that's not uh, it's a, a game reason that for Washington them to win. win. Like, they could still yep. the, the football team can definitely still win that game, McCaffrey or not. And then yeah, week, week 17, seventeen they face the Eagles. Eagles, who are a train wreck. So any team I, in the NFC can lose to each other. That's the way you have to look at it. So they me, can go six see, and they they can go six and ten. I think they can <laughs> like, go seven and nine. I think they can legitimately win three of their last five. So. To me, if Washington's seven and nine, they're running away with the division. Like, like they have <laughs> seven and nine and running away. Yeah, they, I don't even know if it would matter at that point. Week seventeen, the Eagles are a mess right now. Like, they're and their next two games are Green Bay, New Orleans, and then Arizona after that. So, the Eagles are just—they're trending in absolutely the wrong direction. I think that they need to totally blow things up there, and I don't know if that's just firing Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman and just letting the new GM come in and try to reshape this roster. But they're in a tough spot with Carson Wentz. I, I, I sort of feel bad for Wentz. I, I, I'm not disagreeing that he sucks. He, he, he sucks. So right now, cause, cause he does, he's been yeah, brutal he's been lately. The last three games in particular, he's been, I think he's like 27th in passer rating this season. I, I just think, I'll come some slag just a little, just because their O line has been worse than ever in his Philadelphia Eagles tenure, and then and then the wide receivers that they have, uh, Re- Jalen Rieger he played yesterday yesterday and he wasn't getting a ton of separation, and Travis Fulgham has fallen off a cliff after his hot start, and they're still without Ertz. Uh, Goddard, <laughs> Dallas Goddard's their best weapon on offense right now. That's, that's the thing with Wentz. Always excuses. Like his offensive line is hurt. His receivers suck. He has no weapons. His coach is terrible. I'm, I'm, like, trying, to play de- I'm trying to play devil's no, advocate I, I because I, I think he sucks right now. And, and I he think probably that, does suck. 
so many people can kind of bring that back to themselves be like yeah well look at all these reasons like how you can't be successful and like last year you look at those four games you won at the end of the season when he he barely beat a horrendous giants team and a horrendous washington team and then beat the cowboys like 16 to 10 Uh, it was just he he gets all this heroism attached to him for coming back and winning these games that he should never been losing in the first place so I, I don't know. I, I don't think the, the Eagles really have much of an option. They signed him to a four-year, $128 million contract that hasn't even started yet. Oh, <laughs> like he's God. under contract through 2024. Because <laughs> I didn't know they, it was that bad. Yeah, because he had uh, they signed him before last season, and he had the two like his last year of his rookie deal and his option year. So they're stuck with him. And maybe if you totally clean house there and, you know, get rid of those guys in charge and just shake up that roster, and maybe you can put something together that <laughs> there's, there's hope the Eagles salary cap next season. So against a projected $190 million salary cap, and there's a possibility it's even lower than that as low as 175. The Eagles are like negative 65 million in terms of cap space <laughs> they're in a really tough spot heading into next season and uh i think this has just been an absolute disaster for philly uh, i have i don't even know if they should i think they should go to hertz just because of how bad wentz has been and the fact that they're still in the division maybe you could spark up the team a little bit with hertz and who knows from what happens and but i i'm just i guess if i were an eagles fan i'd just be worried about beyond this year uh, mm-hmm. Because I don't, I, I, I can't imagine them winning it all, or winning the division and then winning it all or anything. But so beyond this year, I mean, if you're stuck with Wentz, I don't know what exactly you can do. I mean, you could, you could definitely fire uh, Doug Peterson uh, since I, I don't think he's that great of a coach. And no, he's uh, been proven to just kind of be like I, I, a one-year wonder. And I, I've said it multiple times that I think a lot of it had to do with Frank Reich. And, oh, absolutely! And, 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 they have he, not and been he's the been since he's gone. He's been pretty good in Indianapolis. Yeah, even yeah, without, he's been a great head coach even without luck uh, as their quarterback anymore. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it had to do with him rather than Peterson. Yeah, I I think the Eagles are in a world of hurt. Um, <laughs> I I don't know that they should necessarily get themselves in a world of hurts. Uh, I think just given the Wentz contract situation, it's got to be really bad to totally pull the plug on him. I like the idea of maybe mixing it up a little and getting Jalen Hurts in there, but it just feels like the the Eagles are stuck with Wentz and they're going to be hit with a ton of dead cap if they move on with from him in any capacity. And I don't know who would want to trade for him at this point. So. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be a tough situation in Philly moving forward. I guess real quickly, one thing I want to say about the Cowboys. So I think that of all four teams in this division, the Cowboys should be the one who are least interested in winning the division, partially because they have the built-in excuse of Dak Prescott is hurt, like there's no pressure on them at this point to succeed, but also because I think they'd be the team that would benefit the most from a high draft pick, you know, getting the opportunity to take maybe the best defensive player in the draft and uh, just really give like some kind of spark to this defense. They need, if I were a Cowboys, so if I'm Jerry Jones (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's draft night for the 2021 draft, I'm focusing on defense and maybe a little bit of O-line help just because not because their O-line's bad but because they've been so banged up this year that yeah, I agree with that. I, I think you got to find at least a, a one or two linemen that whether it's early or late in the draft they can help uh build up the depth chart on their offensive line cuz of just given how many how many injuries that they've had so, but definitely a bigger focus on defense. They can't I think they have plenty of weapons on offense. On a skill position player. 
Yeah, CD Lamb is a luxury pick, and he's been great, but that has uh, totally not worked out. I was, well I was honestly year. fine with, I was honestly fine with that. I thought, it was I thought good, it was a great, was a great pick, pick at the time. Yeah, and uh, their defense turned out to be way worse than expected. Their offensive line I, way worse than expected, and Dak got hurt. So. I think for this year, it's not a great pick, but for beyond this year, I think it can really help. And as long as they can uh, revamp the defense a little bit in the draft and and possible free agent signings uh, mm-hmm. next season. Yeah, they, they definitely have their work cut out for them. That being said, their schedule moving forward. So they play the Ravens their next game on the road, and who knows who Baltimore's going to have, but they'll have Lamar Jackson, you know, who's going to be out. And regardless, like they're going to be playing that one on a relatively shorter week. Uh, we'll see what kind of practice time they get. And after that, their last four are Bengals, 49ers, Eagles, Giants. Like Dallas has a path where – if everything goes right, I could see them going five and zero. But based on the way the Cowboys season has gone, nothing has gone right. They'll probably go one and four. So, uh, you know, like from that eight and eight would win the NFC East. But I, I think Dallas's priority should be on twenty twenty one and beyond, and not on the twenty twenty postseason at this point. No, no disagreement from me there. <laughs> All right, and uh, you know, lastly with the NFL, we had uh, some big news in terms of teams moving on uh, from some of the top guys at the organization and I know one that you're going to be very excited to talk about the Detroit Lions firing Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn (laughs) yeah it's about time that they fired him it was disaster from start to finish I think I mean so with the Belichick coaching tree uh, I, I think a lot of them pretty much all of them outside of Brian Flores have been pretty bad and have not worked out with the teams that they uh coached with uh, but Matt Patricia might be the worst one of all of them. Uh, he did not uh, get along with a lot of the players, including Darius Slay and uh, uh, Ziggy Ansa. Uh, Eric, well, Eric Ebron didn't get along. Didn't didn't like the GM. <laughs> Nobody. Yeah. Uh, he's and, he's happy. Bob Quinn's gone. Yeah, and so there are definitely a lot of people that are happy with the moves that Patricia and, and Quinn are gone. And uh, I, I just think Matt Patricia. He took the Belichick approach too far uh, in Detroit. And someone, a uh, person I follow on Twitter, put this perfectly. Matt Patricia did not fail because he's not as smart as Belichick. He failed because he wasn't smart enough to know that he's not smart as Belichick. Now, I know your your head's probably spinning from that, but <laughs> but he's, say, he's basically saying that uh, Matt Patricia should not... Uh, he needs to realize that he's not Belichick and he should have taken more of his personal approach or his style rather than just trying to be the next bill. Because if you try, if I think the Belichick coaching tree has tried that too much or has taken that too far to the point where uh, they, they just not, they're not earning the respect of the players in the locker room and they, they're canned after a few years. And uh, I, I think Patricia, Patricia was a disaster in Detroit. Yeah, it was it was past due time for the Lions to move on from him. Uh, the Belichick coaching tree with just another another loss. Uh, it's just uh, never never really worked out here. And uh, I think that Detroit was wise to move on from Jim Caldwell when they did. But looking back, it like the grass is not always greener. Caldwell had that team in a position to win almost every week. So in, in three seasons or four seasons, he had three winning seasons. He got into the playoffs twice, but nine and seven was kind of their ceiling and losing in the wildcard round. And that's the Lions wanted to take the next step forward, but by bringing in Patricia, they ultimately wound up taking two steps backwards. And now it's, they're a team that can't even win 
seven games to avoid a 10 loss season like this this team is going to need to really find the right guy to come in and turn them around who knows what's going to happen with Matt Stafford moving forward he's older you would think that a new coach would be ready to move on to the next guy whether it's immediately or maybe in 2022 uh, but yeah the Lions I think uh, you know they're, they're another team that it feels like the owner is uh, not going to put them in a great position to succeed moving forward. And, you know, it'd be great to see the the Detroit Lions be a, a relevant team. They're someone, they're a team that we kind of saw last decade a little bit in 2011. And then in 2014 and 2016, we saw them get in the playoffs and uh, they just, they haven't been able to get themselves to the point where they can actually do that consistently. And <laughs> Patricia definitely did not help them get uh, to the, where the, they need to the be. Coach, the coaching is, in my opinion, the biggest concern or that that's what they, their biggest focus should be on is finding the right coach for the, for the job. I mean, look at, uh, look at Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland yeah. one year into that, that terrible team in Cleveland. He's, he's turned them around are, a little bit and now they're, they're looking three. really good right now. Like, uh, I mean, so, so they just, haven't had a great coach in a long time and all it takes is just the one guy. And, 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 and I don't know if you remember, uh, you probably remember Jim Harbaugh, in, and now he's not great in Michigan. Now he's not great now, but yeah. I remember his yeah. first year in San Fran. San Fran the year before was not; they were not good. But the second they brought in Jim Harbaugh, they became a two seed and they made it all the way to the NFC Championship game and almost the Super Bowl. And so I, so sometimes it just takes uh, a coach with a clue <laughs> to mm-hmm. to really turn it around. So I would I would focus on that and and then evaluate the quarterback position if you want to bring back Stafford or or not or find another guy. Yeah, so there are three teams that have fired their head coach. We have the the Houston Texans part with Bill O'Brien and the Atlanta Falcons part with um, Uh, uh, Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn earlier, Uh, and now the the Lions with Matt Patricia. And I was I was going through and uh, just trying to see what teams I think also could end up having a head coach from me because it feels like there's a lot of teams with coaches in the hot seat. So AFC, we know Adam Gase is gone as soon as the Jets clinch the number one pick. Whether that's the, this he's only or, there so they can get Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that that's four. Um, Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. I don't know if they'll fire him, but I, I he's not an NFL head coach. I, like, yeah, he's. It doesn't seem like he is, and but he also has had some bad luck with Burrow being injured as well. So even I, then, I mean, like I, I, that that one, I'm not totally sure on. I'm not sure on it, but I, I think there's a good chance that he's gone. So let, let's just say that's that's five potential openings. AFC South, we already said Houston, Jacksonville. So they just fired their GM, Dave Caldwell. That organization and is just Doug a Mar- mess. I can't, like, I can't believe Doug Marone is Doug still Marone, there. So yeah, he should, I, he should be I'm gone surprised he's too. still there. I yeah. can't see him lasting past this season. Uh, I know that their owner, Shad Khan, said he's safe at least till then, but there's no way, especially you know, bringing a new quarterback, try to bring in a new GM, they're going to bring in a new head coach for sure. In the AFC West, Anthony Lynn, what a oh, horrible fourth quarter <laughs> performance from him against Buffalo! Like, what was did that? You, did you hear his pre- uh, in the press conference? No, I didn't. What, what, did how'd you, how, what were you thinking during that timeout that, uh, in that in that quarter? And then he was like, "I'm not sure." And he just said, "I'm not sure." He didn't even expand on what he was his thought process was. He just said, "Oh, I'm, I'm not sure." Just completing a crazy. Hail Mary and then coming out and running the ball and getting stuffed at the goal line, just losing all the clock. And then that last play with Herbert doing a QB sneak yeah, with his and, offensive line and pass block. <laughs> and it looks like you have the 
the quarterback for the future. So yeah, getting, I think getting that, a coach for the future should be important as well. For, yep. Anthony Lynn seems like a good guy. He was really solid for them in 2018. And I think the Chargers need to move on. Denver is another situation where I could see Vic Fangio being canned after the season. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. They, I, I agree with that as well. They've disappointed this year. And I, I know I had lofty expectations for them, but they haven't even met. <laughs> there reasonable are, expectations. Before you could go, there are a lot of bad coaches. <laughs> That's seven in the AFC alone. Look at the NFC. Doug Peterson, you already said, yeah. if they don't win the division, he's gone, almost guaranteed. Mike McCarthy, I don't know if Jerry Jones will really so fire him after I don't one think, year. But. I don't think he'll be gone just because I feel like that looks bad on Jerry's part if he cans him after one year because that, mm-hmm. that was kind I agree. of, hey, this That's is why the guy I'm picking and then it looks as yep. bad as it does. I think yep. he'll give him another shot, but... It maybe if it happens again, then he'll probably. It's can. one. To, it's one to monitor. Still, Chicago Matt Nagy with the way the Bears are playing, like I don't see how Matt Nagy keeps his job. Like I know he doesn't have a great. I feel. I feel, I feel bad. But I feel bad for him because I. I feel he like can't. he. He can coach. He won coach of the year. He uh, was, yeah. He, he was great in 2018 when everything went right, and now it's to the point where the defense giving up 41 points to the Packers, like that. I think that's the kind of performance you're just like the writing's on the wall. They're gonna try. I mean, they're only a game out of the playoffs, but they you're, started you're five probably, and one. You're probably right that he's gone, but I I sort of kind of feel bad for him a little bit just because I think I think he's shown at times that he can be a good coach. I think he's in a terrible situation, and I could see him bouncing back as an OC somewhere if it's a much better situation. But I I don't see how Chicago is going to have success. They, with they've the, only they've only yeah. gotten worse. It's five. Is it five mm-hmm. straight losses now? Five straight losses. Five straight losses. Yeah. Yeah, and then Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. He's another one who's been on the hot seat for a while. I don't know if they'll move on from him, especially if they find a way to make the playoffs. But if they miss the postseason, I could see them parting with him. Yeah. Um, NFC South. I mean, we already mentioned Atlanta, but. Tampa, Bruce Arians, like if it comes I, down I, to a power struggle, I, yeah, and you I, know I Brady's can, winning that one. Yeah, Brady would win that one. So I, I can see Bruce Arians going. <laughs> How yeah, many coaches then, is that? So I think everyone in the NFC West is safe. Do you agree with that? Yeah, McVay, Shanahan, uh, and then uh, Cliff Kingsbury. And then who is the one I'm for? Oh, Pete, Pete Carroll. Carroll. Yeah, they're, he all just signed a big all, extension. All they're those all guys staying. are safe. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's 13 potential head coaching openings. I don't think they all will be, but there's a good chance that we have like nine or 10. So that's, that's there's a, a lot yeah, of teams looking to find a there, head there's coach, so. there's definitely a really good chance of a quarter of the league not looking for a mm-hmm. looking for a head coach next season. We could see some of these guys who get fired end up with head coaching jobs elsewhere. So and hey, let's look at the Lions. They fired their head coach and their GM, but they have to pay them both through 2022. Martha Ford, not the greatest owner. She might take the cheap route and say, hey, I know someone who could be both head coach and GM and call up the. Uh, <laughs> The old uh, Houston Texans legend Bill O'Brien. <laughs> well, I, I hope not, because they're they're looking at another six and ten season if they do do uh, that. Yeah, we'll see. I'm I'm already excited for the coaches carousel to see this and watch. There's probably going to be like five guys that get fired because so many teams keep them. But I, I'm excited to see what happens. All right, let's uh let's move on from NFL. Let's talk NBA free agency. And uh, at this point. Most of the moves have been made. I think Anthony Davis still hasn't signed. I don't know what he's still waiting on. We know he's going back to the Lakers. But outside of that, all the big names have found new teams. There still could be some trades. We're still three weeks away from the season starting. Uh, And I don't know when training camp officially starts, but I imagine it's soon with preseason games starting in about a week or two. Uh, So at this point, we kind of have a good idea of what rosters are going to look like heading into at least the start of the 2020-21 season. Uh, 
And uh, the Celtics were a team that had uh, one of the, the top prizes as a free agent in Gordon Hayward. And he ultimately wound up signing a huge deal with the Charlotte Hornets. So I guess what are your immediate reactions to both Hayward leaving for Charlotte and you know not sticking around in Boston? I was definitely shocked that he picked Charlotte because there were reports that he was going to go to Indiana and go back home and the Celtics and Danny Ainge were just trying to figure out how to how to send him there and what if that was getting Turner or Old Depot and whomever. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely surprised that he picked Charlotte. I'm not surprised that he's gone, though, just because I think someone getting paid as much as he has wants to be the man, and I think it was pretty obvious that Tatum and Brown have uh, ascended into all-star caliber players, and they're just... It was just too much for Hayward to be a part of their the the Celtics any longer. So, uh, so I figured he was going to go back to Indiana, where he could be be home, but also be on a team that hey, maybe it's not not like championship caliber or anything, but it's a if you put Hayward on that roster, that's a solid team that could make the second round or maybe even the East Finals. But then he picks Charlotte. I kind of I I kind of I, I know it's a lot of money. So I don't I don't want to blame him too much for picking Charlotte, but at the same time, it's, you you made so much money in, in your career, and I think I feel like the what you need to accomplish in the rest of your career is to hey maybe get a ring. But then he picks Charlotte of all teams, and it's it's like all right, so you really just care about the money and the role more than the winning. And so I kind yeah. of I kind of didn't like it on Hayward's part, but at the same time, who am I to judge? Given that he got thirty million uh, for four plus for four years at one hundred twenty million total. So I don't know if it's that simple as saying he ultimately just took the most money. Obviously, thirty million from Charlotte, you know, four years, hundred twenty million. He wasn't getting that in Boston or Indiana or probably anywhere else. Uh, but he had said like that he wanted to go back to Indianapolis. He's from there. He went to Butler, like the Pacers. He was willing to take less money if that's what it took for him to get there. And I think that would have been a great situation for him. And uh, there are all this talks about the Celtics having a sign and trade and that Indiana was offering Miles Turner and Doug McDermott or some other rotational yeah, and then, player. And then, and but picks. Ainge, it was poor that Ainge wanted Turner and Oladipo or TJ Warren. Or TJ Warren, yeah. And like, it feels like at that point he's just kind of overselling his hand. And yeah, no, like, he, right. he 100% over, over, overplayed the hand of, of trying to get those guys. Yeah, so now Hayward ends up in Charlotte, which like shouldn't be all that surprising given that he had signed a uh like when he was a restricted free agent, he had signed an offer sheet with them what 6 7 years ago. But, but uh, before Utah, Utah matched, matched it. it, right? But uh yeah, I mean for Hayward, he goes from being the number 4 option in Boston behind Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker to being the number 1 guy in Charlotte. And he's going to get to play with a young guy in LaMelo Ball who who knows what his ceiling is. He's someone who's uh, at least has a lot of excitement attached to him. Devontae Graham, uh, he was really solid for the Hornets last year. Miles Bridges, he's another young guy who uh, he's going to be um, you know, he's he's taken a leap and someone I think that Charlotte, you know, maybe you can kind of see a path. It's, it's down not the road, it's not a great team, but they do have some promising players. There, there's a little bit of promise, but even in the Eastern Conference, it feels like it's a bit of a long shot for them to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, that being said, like, I think that in terms of what Hayward did signing with Charlotte makes sense for him. And it's it's a little disappointing in some aspects that the Celtics didn't end up pulling off a sign and trade with Indiana. I know they got that big trade exception by doing a sign, ex- uh, sign and trade with Charlotte. Uh, 
Um, but I guess what, what are your thoughts on the Celtics potentially getting Miles Turner and then instead signing Tristan Thompson? Uh, I, I like I like Miles Turner. I think last year was a bit of a down year, but I think he has potential or upside. Uh, and I I think the Celtics are desperate for a starting caliber center. I know Tice was solid last year, but I don't see him. I, I still don't like the idea of him being a starter and playing as me, as many minutes as he played in the bubble, or he's playing like thirty five to forty minutes a game. I don't love that idea. Uh, so I I wish that they got Turner, but at the same time he does make eighteen million a year, and so you're taking a gamble if he's not as good as. Uh, people say he is or can be so so I sort of don't fault them for that and taking Tristan Thompson and Tristan Thompson I don't love especially with the Kardashian thing he has going on uh in his personal life but he is they do they the Celtics are desperate for rebounding and Tristan Thompson is a terrific rebounder and they need some defense uh and some size and and I I, I'm I'm fine with the move I don't I I don't absolutely love it but uh I'm 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 fine with it. I've talked myself into it a little bit. See, I was originally disappointed that the Celtics didn't get Miles Turner and instead ended up with Tristan Thompson. Uh, but I, I've thought about it a lot more, and I, I'm yeah. actually kind of glad with the way things have played out. So you pointed Turner. Didn't have a great year last year. 12.6 mm-hmm. rebounds. A lot of that having to play alongside DeMontis Sabonis, it doesn't feel like a good fit. And I get why Indiana would want to move on from Turner because Sabonis, has, he's been an all-star. He's been someone who last year he was their best player. Um and uh, you know, at least in terms of efficiency, he outscored, out-rebounded Turner. Uh, so it makes sense that Turner be a guy in the move. And I think, yeah, in a different fit. Maybe in Boston, that'd be great. And maybe replacing Gordon Hayward as Boston's number four scoring option would be really solid for him. You get a guy, he's a big man who can, he can space the floor. He can shoot from outside. Tristan Thompson can't do that. He has worked but on a little bit. He has. He shot 39% from three last season, nine for 23. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see uh, if he, he keeps trying to extend his range. Regardless, the past two seasons in Cleveland since LeBron left, he's averaged a double-double. He averaged 12 and 10 this season. He's someone he's he's not going to go out and give you 25, 30 points at the center position. The Celtics don't need that when they have Tatum, Brown, and Kemba. They, they don't need a fourth guy who can come in and do that on a nightly basis. They just need someone who can protect the rim, rebound, play defense, and contribute timely offense when needed. And that's something that Tristan Thompson is going to do. And for someone who's making as much in two years as Miles Turner is going to make in one year and then make two more years after that, I think the Celtics ended up kind of lucking out in this. Yeah, I, I w- my immediate reaction was the same as yours where I, w- I wish they got Miles Turner, but then I... And I, I don't. I, I immediately didn't like the Tristan Thompson signing just because of the Kardashian stuff. So I'm a little bit biased towards that. But talking myself into it more and thinking about it more, I, uh, yeah, I think the Celtics kind of lucked into uh, what they have right now. And with the the sign and trade trade exemption stuff with Gordon Hayward and Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, and I think twenty eight million dollars. It's the largest, yeah. yeah, largest ever trade exception. So we'll see what the Celtics uh, end up doing with that uh, I think it's somewhat limited given that Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker and uh, Jason Tatum all have pretty large deals they're gonna eat up a lot of salary cap space moving forward but certainly gives Boston some flexibility I think they have a year to use it how do you, I, I guess uh, I guess the concern is how do you feel about the Celtics going forward with what they have right now because I feel like the East is getting a little bit better the heat proved that they were the better team in that series in the East Finals Brooklyn's getting back Kyrie and, and KD 
and uh, the Bucks they still have Giannis and and they got Drew Holiday and so I feel like some of the e- teams in the East have gotten uh, better and the Celtics I feel like they're sort of trending down now they don't have Hayward and Kemba he's already confirmed that he's gonna miss the first part of the season not might not come back until sometime in January and and he he has long term knee issues that I I definitely don't like right now and. I guess what? How do you see them going forward? Yeah, I mean, I don't love the Celtics situation going into the season. Uh, they're definitely not better without Hayward. I don't know if they're significantly worse without him. Right. But I agree. The Eastern Conference is probably going to be better. You still have Milwaukee, Brooklyn. You, know, you think if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are healthy, they're going to be a top threat. Seventy Sixers kind of me- messed around with their roster a little bit. Uh, Toronto didn't have too many huge changes, or at least able to replace guys that they lost. Miami Heat, you know, it was kind of a similar situation. So I, I don't think that Boston can definitively say, like, they're the number two team or the number three team in the East. Like, they're, they're going to get back to the Eastern Conference hey, Finals. I, I think I, there are a lot of really the, good teams, a lot to compete with. I just don't love the direction they're going in right now just because just a couple of years ago, they looked like they were title contenders or looked like they were going to be given what they had on their roster. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, there were. There, there's drama, and they, like, uh, they didn't have Kyrie anymore because he went to Brooklyn, and Al Horford left for Philly, and then just, and 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 I know they got back to the East Finals without these guys, but it just, I, I feel like they're not trending in the right direction, and and the East is getting a little bit better, and I, I don't particularly love their situation right now. Yeah, it is it is frustrating kind of looking at where they were and where they are now. Like you figured they'd be further ahead, maybe at least have a finals appearance, if not a championship. But I think that young core, you know, Brown and Tatum are just going to continue ascending. And I think that they'll, that, they'll that's, be to the point where like the, the Celtics don't have that, as many concerns. That's really the, th- the biggest thing that they have to depend on is uh, Tatum and Brown getting better. I mean, because mm-hmm. Tatum was an all-star last year and Brown was, he wasn't an all-star, but I think this upcoming season he can be and Tatum can even get better and become a top 10 player or so in the league. Yeah. They definitely need that if they're going to, you know, continue to take the next step. Right. All right. So with that, let's get into our biggest winners and losers of the NBA offseason to this point. So let's kind of start with our winners. So if you have maybe a team or two to throw out. Yeah. So for my opinion, for the biggest winners, I went with the Lakers. Uh, I, I know they've lost, uh, guys like Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo and Dwight Howard, but they were able to get Mantras Harrell, who was a terrific sixth man on the Clippers, now going to the uh, right across the street with the Lakers, and they got Marcus. All I know he's not he uh, by the end of his Toronto tenure he was not very good, but I think if he can gain gain some of that form back, he, he's a good he's a good upgrade for for the Lakers. And then they also got Dennis Schroeder as well, uh, to replace guys like Rondo. So I think, I think the Lakers are primed to repeat, even though they lost guys, they were able to, uh, replace them with some pretty, uh, pretty decent players, uh, with Schroeder and, uh, Montrose Hill in particular. So I, I, I think the Lakers, I, I, that's the team I pick for biggest winners. Yeah. I mean, if, if you just talk, which team, did the most to improve their championship chances i agree with you that the lakers are the biggest winner and i know they won the finals last year uh, they won it in a bubble and uh you know they they had a lot of things go their way and it was a war of attrition but i think that they uh they put themselves in position to be able to survive a, a more authentic 
real NBA season like we're used to. Uh, like you said, getting Montreal Harrell, sixth man of the year last year, getting him from the Clippers, who I think the Clippers were kind of smart to let him go. They replaced him with Serge Ibaka. They needed to kind of change up that team, but Harrell's still a top talent, and he's going to the Lakers. He helps improve their front court. Marcus Gasol is another veteran who uh, he he's going to come in, and he's going to be able to be a, a solid backup to Anthony Davis. Dennis Schroeder, who you mentioned, he was the runner-up for sixth man of the year. I think he's immediately an upgrade over Rajon Rondo and Avery Bradley at the backup point guard position. So yeah, to me, the Lakers, just talking about improving their championship window, they're the biggest winner. Talking about a team that most improved overall, though, in terms of where they were heading into the offseason, near the end of last year and where they are now, it's the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks made a ton of splashes. The two biggest ones, Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich, that team just totally improved themselves to the point where they went from like a you know middling lottery team to like a legitimate playoff contender. I don't know if they're a team that can you know be any more than like a seven eight seed, but they can maybe uh, surprise some people this year. Trey Young, if he continues to take another step forward, I think that the Hawks can uh, really be a team to watch out for. And uh, I, I I'm still kind of interested to see what happens with John Collins. He's someone who. I don't think the Hawks should end up paying. Danilo Gallinari at this point in his career is probably a power forward. They have Clint Capella, who they traded for from the Rockets last season. They drafted Onyeka Kongu with the six overall picks. So to me, that's kind of phasing out Collins, potential target for the Celtics. Uh, that being said, I, I think that the Hawks still had the, uh, the best offseason in terms of where they started and where they are now. I do want to throw out one more team, though. Um, so this is kind of a dark horse team in terms of biggest winner maybe not right now this is something that's very fluid and now i say that it's really two teams that i want to talk about uh, and we could be saying that they were the biggest winners of the offseason a year from now depending on what plays out in the next few weeks and of course the rest of the season those are the toronto raptors and the miami heat and the reason for that this is something that could totally change if the box sign Giannis Antetokounmpo do an extension, they immediately vault up. If the Brooklyn Nets trade for James Harden, they immediately vault up. Like they Both of those teams could maybe be ahead of the Lakers when you talk about biggest winners. But Toronto, they they paid a lot, but they kept Fred VanVleet. I think four years, $85 million is a lot for him, but he's someone who he earned a big contract. He's someone who's a key contributor to that Toronto team, and I think he's going to continue to move forward as the team's uh, franchise, point guard, shooting guard, wherever you want to play him. They lost Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol, but they replaced them with Alex Len and um, Aaron Baines, who had a really solid season in Phoenix. They also retained Chris Boucher. I think that they still have enough talent that they're going to be a top contender at Eastern Conference. Same thing with the Miami Heat. Jake Crowder goes and signs with Phoenix three years, $27 million. Really solid deal for him. And Miami instead signs Avery Bradley and Amo Harkless to small one-year deal so maybe a little bit of a downgrade but in terms of value I think they get uh, just as much out of those guys so both of those teams should still be up there in the Eastern Conference the Celtics lost Gordon Hayward the Nets they get KD and Irving back but to this point they haven't really added any big names outside of those Uh, the um, Philadelphia 76ers I don't really know what to make of that they did did a good job in terms of how they, they got they rid of Al Horford, Horford, but yeah, but they they still have Simmons and Embiid together. I don't know how that's going to play out. So just looking at that, Toronto and Miami are still in solid position to be able to compete in the Eastern Conference this season. 
But the big thing I'm looking at is next year because at this time, Giannis is still slated to be a free agent and those are the top two destinations for where he's going to go. So if Giannis doesn't end up signing, then right there, Toronto and Miami, they it, he's almost definitely going to go to one of those two if he doesn't remain in Milwaukee. So to me, those are two teams that you can look back and say, hey, with the way that everything played out this offseason, not even necessarily just from what they did, but from what Milwaukee didn't do makes um the biggest winner wherever he ultimately ends up going. And you want to get to losers? Yeah. Uh, so for losers, you kind of just talked about it. Uh, I know weeks ago we talked about what the Bucks did uh, with their signings, and I know they got Drew Holiday in a trade, and they were they were they were talk they were <laughs> they were confirmed reports that they were going to get Bogdanovich, but then they ended up not getting him, and. I know they. I know Drew Holiday's great. I, I'm I'm a fan of him, but now I'm starting to wonder if they even did enough to to please Giannis to have him stay in Milwaukee. And I don't know if I, I'm going to lean towards. I don't think they did enough, and I don't think Drew. I, I as much as I like Drew Holiday, I don't think that's the difference between losing the second round to the Miami Heat and now winning the NBA championship. So if they come out in the 2021 playoffs and they losing the second round or East finals again. Like, yeah, I could see Giannis leaving after next season. And now I might not agree that it's definitely going to be Toronto or Miami. And I, I can't say that based on any concrete information. I just, I just think it's a little too early right now, but those it's are definitely too early. But, those, but Miami, there have been a lot of talks about that. So they're probably the favorites and Toronto's probably the second favorite. So, but I, I just think it's just a little too early to say for sure, which team he's going to go to. If he if he leaves Miami or not Miami Milwaukee, but yeah, I just I don't know if they did enough now 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 that they didn't get Bogdanovich, uh, I, yeah. So I so I'm gonna say the loser and pot- potentially biggest loser. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the Bucks did a decent job of kind of replacing the void left by not bringing in Bogdanovich. They signed Bobby Portis. They signed Tory Craig. Uh, and they lost Wesley Matthews, but they, they still have Dante DiVincenzo in the fold. I, I think that Milwaukee is in an okay position, um, but I, I, I do understand until Giannis signs. Like if he officially is is like not going to sign with them, then they absolutely should be in the running for Biggest Loser. Uh, one team that I'm going to throw out there that we talked about earlier, the Indiana Pacers. And uh, really the reason why I say Indiana, not only did they miss out on Gordon Hayward, adding a guy who could improve that team, there's still a lot of uncertainty with Victor Oladipo and, you know, whether he wants to be in Indiana or not, what they're going to get out of him. There's a lot of uncertainty with Sabonis and Miles Turner. So they're basically trotting out the same team that just got swept by the Miami Heat. And now all of a sudden, the rest of the Eastern Conference is better. We talked about Brooklyn getting back Katie and Durant, or Katie and Kyrie Irving, potentially James Harden, Siller. You know, somebody uh, could end up showing up there. Atlanta got much better as well. So all of a sudden, the Pacers went from being like a team that, yeah, they can kind of be like, you know, maybe uh, a second round team, like someone to watch out for, to their. Uh, <laughs> probably still a playoff team but it's hard to envision them uh even advancing you know doing any better than they did this past season uh so to me indiana i think is is my biggest loser it's a good choice all right so that'll wrap things up for our nba talk so let's uh let's get things finished here with our five question segment so 
we will start off with question number one. What are some of your favorite and least favorite commercials that have been playing during football and other sporting events recently? Uh, so for favorite, uh, even though it kind of plays a lot, I do like the the progressive commercial where the guy's trying to teach the adults not try to become their parents yeah i love those as well yeah i i I love i'm a huge fan of those and uh (laughs) with like the late the lady in the bag saying i'm i'm having a big lunch and then a snack for dinner and then and then and then he has blue hair blue (laughs) we all see it we all see it and then who who uh who else reads books about submarines books about submarines Uh, my My dad dad. (laughs) Yeah, so, I love those commercials. Yeah, the, those the, those ones are easily my favorite. And then do you yeah. want me? And then do you want me to go with my least? Yeah, favorite? I mean, go for it. Yeah. All right. So yeah. my least favorite, uh, there's a lot. Uh, I I hate the Liberty Mutual ones with the, yeah. the obnox- that obnoxious dude and that limo limo bird, and then the yep. annoying the the annoying jingle. Uh, as much as I like Geico commercials, I don't like the one that keeps playing where. Uh, it's it's about ants or aunts where we have ants in our oh, house yeah. and and then uh-huh. it's just that lady who goes expired that and like the there's the uh the the flop no the the tap dancing people or whatever oh yeah so that one's like a clogging too. issue yeah, yeah I don't like I don't like those so most most of them I hate um but those are probably my least favorite ones yeah I've been t- I've been thinking about talking about commercials for a long time and I I always end up forgetting it I like have stuff written down and then it just doesn't come up but uh I mean I get one thing I was going to throw out that uh the uh progressive commercials and you know I'm gonna come out and say it I really do find the Baker Mayfield progressive commercials entertaining yeah as much I as I don't like as much as I don't like Baker Mayfield yeah. I I don't. I don't mind those ones. Those are. Right. I think those they're so funny. Yeah. Like when the he's book, like the book, locked the book, out in the cold. The book, the book club. club yeah, one. I do yeah. like the book club yep. one. Like who who, who, I, I love who, who when, votes uh, that we should vote her out of the book club? And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love when he's uh like it's like gonna start raining and he's like oh we gotta cover the furniture and like the ground screw guys like the seats like yeah you're like come on if you help it'll be twice as fast and he's just trying to like put tarp over every single seat. <laughs> Um, I, I do really enjoy the Baker Mayfield commercials. And I guess with that being said, I hate the flow progressive commercials because they have, like you said, the, uh, the guy like pretending, like preventing people from becoming their parents. They have the Baker Mayfield, uh, commercials and they just, they continue to trot out the flow ones and there's not the same oh, the flow, at all. The flow like, ones are so annoying. Uh, yeah. Like, especially that one where they, they're like they... singing in the living room and she's dressed up as their parents, like. I hate you know, the one where one, they hi- they high five at the end and just oh no nah, yeah your with her life, and Jamie just, is the other guy yeah, Jamie I know. yeah those, yeah those, those are definitely are, my least favorite just because like you have these great commercials that you play like why even bother throwing her out and I get that she's basically their mascot but at least make them good even Geico you know? so I just talked about how I hate the the ants or the aunts I, I, yeah. I they mm-hmm. they they've had a ton of good ones they've uh, had a lot of great ones over the years yeah. and they've had a lot of bad ones so I I love the one where uh. <laughs> when when Pinocchio is is the motivational speaker, and he's like, "Yeah, uh, yeah." I, I look at this room and I see nothing but untapped potential. <laughs> <laughs> his nose starts growing. Yeah, yeah, you have potential, and then his nose gets bigger. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. that one. But and then and then the who's the the lizard? The gecko? Yeah, the gecko ones are all right. Yeah, the gecko. Um, uh-huh. and, and, yeah. and then Hump Day. Yeah, so the geckos had plenty of good ones. But uh, yeah, I, I mean I, you're just going through classic ones. These aren't even like relevant yeah. ones anymore. N- yeah, 
so I just hate the ones. I hate that one though. Yeah. Uh, so first question number two: Are there any goals you want to accomplish in the last month of 2020? You know, it's been my goal for you know all of 2020, even before the pandemic. You know, during it is just stay in shape. You know, don't don't. Uh, I know it's it's tough, especially with the holidays, and you know it's it's cold outside, and it, it's not. I don't love the idea of going to a gym right now, and it's it's tough to run every day. But the the goal is just to not put on too much weight right now. You know, try to power through, do as much exercise as I can, eat as right as I can, because I know, especially that last like week or two of the year, it's going to be so hard. So that's my goal: is basically don't noticeably put on weight. You know, try to maybe lose some in the the these next couple of weeks here, because it's it's going to be tough to end the year. Yeah, that, I kind of that's a more goal, but then I also. Um, I guess my other goal would be to win our our fantasy football league. <laughs> other, there you go. Other, yeah. other than that, the, yeah, I don't have many other goals. I just want to get this year over with. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I'm yeah. I'm I'm eliminated in our league, but I'm still alive in two others. Yeah. So it would be nice. So to, I, so know, I guess we both have we both have similar goals where it's just try to just just try to stay in shape a little bit, and not get too noticeably <laughs> bigger. Uh, yep. Especially we, after we had Thanksgiving, and then Chris is going to come up. And then try to win our uh, fantasy football leagues, the ones that we're in. Yep. All right. Question three. David Chang became the first celebrity to win a million dollars on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with the help of ESPN's Mina Kimes on the last question. What celebrities would you want available as your final lifeline? So this is the, the phone a friend question. Yeah, I'll admit I I kind of had a tough time with this one. Uh I, one guy that I would would kind of like though, uh, you know Ken Jong, the guy from The Hangover. Yeah, yeah. So he, even though he's crazy in 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 that movie, he's actually really smart in real life. He has two degrees. Uh, he 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 graduated at Duke in a bachelor's, and then and then medical school at North Carolina, Duke in North Carolina. How wild is that? He went to both there those schools. Go. Yeah, and I think he's so not only is he. Not only is he super entertaining uh, in some of the movies he's been, but a super nice guy, but he's also a really smart guy as well and has degrees at really high prestigious schools. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe you can throw in a joke by the end of his phone call at the, at yeah, the, after, and, after he, he probably, helps me answer the question as well. He can probably uh, help with some of the more like entertainment So I didn't I didn't want to just pick a guy well. who was just smart. I wanted to pick a guy who was smart yeah. but also uh could handle not just questions that i would have no idea how to answer but also he he, he had a he'd have a wide range of uh questions he could probably answer and obviously really smart so that's who i think yeah no that's, that's a good answer um so i mean I, the the obvious easy answer for what celebrity would you want uh is ken jennings who yeah I w- you know, so i was thinking about that but Jeopardy i don't want to i don't want to yeah. pick I know. jeopardy champion so i just decided yeah to, i just i, I agree those. it's it is is kind of like a cheating answer um so to pick one try to stick it in the sports industry like mina kimes uh how about chris berman he went to brown and we know from his highlights packages that he's really well versed in like pop culture and you know the entertainment industry i think he's someone who uh can have like a kind of a wide breadth of answers to questions you know maybe i don't know if he's past his prime at this point but uh he was the best answer i'd come up with i was like trying to like google search like smartest espn talent and 
uh, you know, most people that you would come up are just because of their sports smart. You'd be, you'd be, because you'd be rumbling, smart. bumbling, and stumbling to the correct answer if, uh, when you get the phone a friend from Chris Berman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Actually, it'll be a question. It'll it'll uh, the answer will start with R, and uh, you know, like like the readers yeah, yeah. and it'll cut off before and i won't know what he actually finishes is it a b c d or g <laughs> g men uh all right so for question number four do you did you do any holiday shopping on black friday i did not i uh i'm so bad when it comes to holiday shopping i i even like when it's not a pandemic like i can't remember the last time i actually went out and like bought something on black friday or even like online shopping i'm always so bad about it uh you know i'm always one of like the last minute holiday shoppers and i probably should have tried to take advantage of deals and uh you know i i I did not so yeah so when it comes to uh shopping i i i like getting clothes and uh, it's clothes and gifts for myself or others and then uh but yeah in terms of black friday this this year i did not do any black friday shopping either uh nothing online so no so so when so let's say it's a normal black friday the only thing i like to do is just get clothes for myself that's all i do whether that's at express or or primark or whatever store you can think of abercrombie and fitch yeah american eagle place i used to work at yeah hollister (laughs) (laughs) um gap oh no definitely not the gap come on <laughs> old navy <laughs> uh i don't even know about that either <laughs> uh but so i black friday i really all i do is shop for myself for clothes uh but this year i definitely didn't want to do that and now the playstation 5 came out recently yeah so what i did was i called uh places and they were out and uh one random place that i called was bed bath and beyond and they they didn't have it, but the reason why I called them was because uh, you probably know the story, but uh, others may not. So uh, a few years ago, when the PS4 came out, I tried to get the, uh, I or a couple years ago, I tried to get the PS4, and GameStop didn't have it, and Best Buy didn't have it, and Target, and so on, Walmart. And one of my friends told me that, oh, I saw a bunch of Bed Bath and Beyond, like Bed Bath and Beyond, <laughs> and so yeah. we went there closing time and they said no he ran out but the guy checked on his computer the employee at bed bath and beyond checked on his computer to see if there were still any in other locations and he told me that there was one left in salem new hampshire so the next day drove out to salem new hampshire bed bath and beyond it was just 30 minutes like yeah it was just 30 minutes just just a perspective for those who aren't familiar with new hampshire yeah so went there the, in the morning it opened at 9 or 10 a.m. and I got my PS4 at Best or Bed go. Bath & Beyond and uh, I got the last one so it was sweet and uh, that's why I called them again and they didn't have it this time yeah. unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I've I've gotten a lot of great stuff at Bed Bath & Beyond over the years. Most of it is like things you would expect there like a, like a Dyson uh, heating, cooling, dehumidifier fan thing was the biggest thing but I, 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 uh, I think the the you know i don't know craziest or what phrase you want to use here that i've got at bed bath and beyond it was um a most unique or outrageous yeah most yeah most like thing like bed bath and beyond really it was it was a s'mores beer it was like a s'mores porter or stout and i i went to a like not a 
like like an engagement party i guess and um it, the the theme was like you know bring bring a beer and they everyone's gonna try them and you'll vote on them and everyone loved mine i was like yeah i got a bed bath and beyond like really bed bath and beyond <laughs> yeah it uh it worked out i i uh i was um i was actually like kind of sick earlier in the week and i i needed to buy a dehumidifier it's not the the one i use now is it just a small cheap one and <laughs> i just happened to find that there i was like this sounds really good all right and everyone loved it it was, it was my favorite for sure so uh yeah love bed bath and beyond i do uh i i subscribe to them and, and i get rewards and emails and stuff from them all maybe, the time maybe so. maybe we maybe we should get bed bath and beyond to sponsor this <laughs> yeah hey podcast. maybe hey if they give us ps5s then they then uh that we'll uh we'll advertise for them every episode oh yeah no doubt all right last question number five national cookie day is coming up on december 4th what is your favorite cookie so there are only two cookies that i love one are oreos (laughs) and then but the other is my favorite chocolate chip cookies outside of that i really don't (laughs) i'm pretty i'm pretty simple just those two and then outside of that I, i don't mind sugar cookies they're pretty good oatmeal raisins all right, but I mean, it's uh-huh. really just chocolate chip and cookies and Oreos for me, and that's it. Okay, so that makes sense why you didn't want to do it as your top five, which probably would yeah, been kind of the boring top, top five two anyway. And then and then question marks for three, four, and five. Yeah, so not just my favorite cookie, but my favorite dessert overall is a perfect warm chocolate chip cookie. Uh, can't beat it if it's if it's done absolutely right. Then it, you, it is number one for sure. Do you have a a brand? So like Nestle or so I guess like homemade is kind of what I'm looking for, but yeah, I mean Nestle is definitely like if I were to make them at home or whatever, like that would probably be the top one. Um, so outside of that, I mean, I think if you're just looking at the brand ones, like you said, Oreo in particular, double stuff Oreo. So yeah, double, cookie, du- double. I get the double Oreo. stuff. That's my one and two. I, ne- I never yep. get. I never get the regular ones anymore. I get double stuff, yeah. and then occasionally, if I'm really feeling it, I'll get the mega one. If you've ever seen those, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that sounds like too much, but you know, I, I like I like a little extra cream. Um so in terms of holiday specific cookie, Snickerdoodle, that feels kind of like a pretty traditional Christmas one, like that would be my go-to. I love the cinnamon. Not a huge gingerbread cookie fan, so um not really sure what other options to throw out there. But then, you know, last one I'll throw out. So it's it's not really a holiday specific one, but my mom makes these every year on Christmas and it's um a peanut butter chocolate oatmeal no bake cookie basically you just take you know you combine peanut butter chocolate oatmeal whatever just put it on a, a little sheet and just let it self-harden and dry sounds and it, pretty it's good so good yeah I Wait, love but, those, I, but but i agree that the uh a heated up so not not hard soft, soft. no yep soft yep. i i hate i hate when it's just hard as a rock I, yeah like a chips ahoy chocolate yeah chip oh, cookies. i don't like i don't like chips same. ahoy like, and, yeah and i don't like those kind of chocolate chip cookies i want i'll the, eat them but i mean I, chewy chips ahoy is i like, like that's my yeah preference. i agree i agree i like the chewy ones i i but the best is nestle right out of the oven soft uh uh, uh chocolate chip cookies those are yep, easily my favorite absolutely all right so that'll do it for today's episode uh we will be coming back to you soon with another one, I'm sure. Uh, so, you know, enjoy this final month of 2020. I hope that whatever goals you have, you can achieve them, just like I hope Brian and I achieve ours. So for Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>